0: Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. If you want to turn your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 6 today, starting at verse 1. And there's a subtitle to this story. Jesus feeds the 5,000. What? You already know this one? Do you know that story? Um, okay, hang on. Um, do you know that like, um, there was this huge crowd? You know that? Um, do you know, do you know that like, there was this little boy and he just had this little lunch? Do you know that? putting me in a bit of a tricky position because I've got like a whole, a whole thing here about this story. Heads, why have you got a sticker at Kids Church because you knew this story? Did you know that this is the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels? Any of you know that? Oh, some people, oh, oh, just leave. You know it all. But wait, there's a real trap that we get to a passage like this and we go, nailed it, got it, know it all, keep moving, turn the page, know the story. It's so well known, it's so well known. What more is there that we could discover about it that we don't already know, that hasn't been preached a bazillion times? But here's what I've learned over the years about the Bible. The Bible unfolds as we read it. There are depths to the Bible. We can read a passage once and think, oh, I've got it, I've got it. And then we read it again and we go, oh, there's more. How come I didn't see that the first time? And then we read it again and we go, oh, there's even more, there's a different angle, there's a new insight. See, the Bible is just the starting place. I heard a preacher say once, the more I read the Bible, the more the Bible starts reading me. It's like the ocean. We know what we know. It's the ocean. It's salt, water. It has fish and whales and sharks in it. But could it be possible in 2018 that there are parts of the ocean that are yet to be explored? There are species that are yet to be discovered, thanks Lou, check this out, some photographs coming, this is a sea pig, this was discovered off the east coast of Australia, it's the ugliest looking thing I've ever seen, off off the east coast of Australia, four kilometres down, last year, next picture, is the blobfish, discovered last year didn't know it existed till they went 4k down here's the next one the spiny crab I don't think you'd want to meet that on a dark night or deep in the down in the ocean (laughs) discovered last year they didn't even know it existed and that's just some of them There are even more ugly ones but I don't want to freak you out See, marine experts don't stop searching because they already know so much. They keep exploring because they know there's more to find. And do you know what? It's the same with the Bible. I know many of you know this story. You could probably come up here and tell the story. But if we dive a little deeper, I think there's more to discover and uncover. Perhaps there's something in the depths of this story, that'll be a fresh and new discovery for all of us today. So, batten down your hatches, because we're going down. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we're not content today to flit around on the surface, but we want to dive into the depths of your word and discover what you planned for us to understand all along. Father, we know we aren't gonna find your wisdom lying around on the surface. So take us deep. Bring your truth out into the open so we can see it clearly this morning. Amen. All right, let's go. The setup. John 6, verses one and two. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. Galilee. Sea of Tiberius, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing those who were ill. So, Jesus and his disciples were trying to get away. To not put too fine a point on it, they were knackered. They were tired out. And another gospel tells us that they'd just heard that our friend JTB, John the Baptist, had just been beheaded. And so they were taking this news on board and trying to process this. And so they went for some time out. And the crowd, the crowd start following. They're following Jesus for what they think they're gonna get out of him. They're following Jesus for what he can do for them. They're following Jesus because they were looking for a show, like Dynamo or something. (laughs) That's what we do when we start following Jesus, eh? We follow for what we can get from him. But when we've been going along a little while, we follow him for what he can do through us. Verse 3, then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. I don't think they were sitting up there having a conversation. If you're tired and you go and sit down, what's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to lie back, catch some Z's? I think they were just lying there, maybe face down on the grass, just having, having a nap. And sometimes quiet's good. Because the next verse says this, verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So the crowd were like the paparazzi of the day. Imagine we think they're around maybe eight to 10,000 people. And Jesus maybe was having a nap on the ground, and he looks up. And he sees this swarm of people coming towards him. And the disciples see it too. And you know, I think it's like, they must have gone, it's like when you're a mum, right? And you get five minutes to go and have a shower by yourself and you shut the door, you think, right, they're settled, they're watching Barney, or whatever, I don't know what the kids watch, that's what Simeon watched when he was little Barney. And, and you've five, got five minutes to go and jump in the shower. And you get into the shower, and you turn the water on, you're just about to start lathering up, and you hear this. Mom! Mom! Mum, I need you! It's like, oh my, can this child not leave me alone for five minutes? Can I not get five minutes' peace? See, Jesus looked up and he saw the crowd, but he didn't get frustrated. What he saw was a great opportunity coming right towards him an unsolvable problem, and at a very inconvenient time. Well, to the disciples at least. Someone once said this We're all faced with a series of great opportunities. Brilliantly disguised as unsolvable problems. Have you ever experienced this? Your greatest opportunities will often come at the most inconvenient times. You won't be in a good mood. you won't feel ready. You won't have an extra $15,000 dollars lying around. Where things feel uncomfortable, where there's tension, that's where growth is produced. And he says something to Philip. He asks Philip this question to stretch and test him, to develop his faith. Even though, at the end of verse 6, it says, he already had in mind what he was going to do. Even though he already knew. I looked up that word knew. In Greek, it's oida, and it means to know how, to have the knowledge to know how. So not only did he know what he was going to do, he knew how he was going to do it. He had the knowledge how he was going to do it. He had the connection to know who was going to do it. He knew what he was going to do. I want you to notice something about the question that Jesus asked. He asked Philip the where question. Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And in verse 7, Philip answered him. It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Philip doesn't even answer the question. Jesus asked, where? Philip answered, what? Wow. Philip does this precise calculation. He added it all up in his head. It reminds me of my mum. <coughs> she, um, My dad loves sport, cricket, all blacks, whatever. He, he will watch it, cricket for days. Days and days and days. I don't know how he does it, it's like paint drying to me. But anyway, mum, mum doesn't really like sport, she just sits there because dad likes it. And so sometimes she'll sit there for a while and she'll watch. One day they were watching a, a test match, or a one day, I can't remember, at Eden Park. And the place was packed, must have been a few years ago, because that hasn't happened for a while. Um, <laughs> ooh, black caps, ooh. Shh. <laughs> so no one's going to send this to anyone, are they? No? Okay, Good. Um, and the camera, sh- the, the, it was in a break time, and the camera did this pan around the crowd showing the, you know, the full capacity of Eden Park, 40,000 people-ish in there. And my mum said, <clears throat> looks to dad and goes, I wonder how much toilet paper they need for all those people. <laughs> and my dad's like, <sighs> but you know what, I know my mum. She would have been sitting there and doing the calculations. Right, 40,000 people, let's say minimum of two visits per game, uh, six ish pieces of toilet paper per visit, times two, 40. She would have been sitting there calculating the whole thing in her head. Probably have a number at the end. That's what Philip was doing. Kept all of this and this and a bit of this and this and oh, no, not going to happen, Jesus. No, impossible. Not even enough for anyone to have a bite. See, Philip's working from a place of sure things. What is humanly possible. And Philip's notorious for what cannot be done. The constant thought of, it's not going to work. There's not enough. I mean, there are Philips everywhere you go in life. Maybe you're a bit of a Philip. Because this is what Philips do. Hold on. They look at the problem, a little bit of lunch, 10,000 people, and they put a box over it. They box God in. They stop him working. They put limitations on how he may want to move. I know, I'm going to be honest with you, I've been a bit of a fillip in the past? Calculating? Trying to solve things myself? Tico can testify to this. One day I'll tell you our journey of financial communications over 23 years of marriage has been like, (laughs) oh. Trusting in my own abilities. What I could see was the solution to the problem. A few years ago, we were in a period of transition in our lives, and We were in a situation where we had no income, either of us, and it ended up being for about three months. We had a bit of money in our savings, but from a Philip point of view, it looked to me like a not enough situation. I did the calculations, frankly, looked impossible, and a knot of worry formed deep on the inside of me. I'll tell you the end of the story a little bit later. Because there are two ways to view the impossibility of not enough. There are two ways to view it. You might want to write this down if you're taking notes. The first way to view it is from our perspective. It's what I'm going to call bottom up. All right? Our perspective. And this was Philip's perspective, bottom up. There's eight to 10,000 people out there. That crowd followed us, man. All I want to do is rest. This is inconvenient. We don't have enough energy, we don't have enough food to deal with this problem. Well, what do you do when there's not enough? What do you do? So we live in an age where we hear that cry constantly. You might not have even realized it. I don't have enough time, not enough money, not enough energy. <laughs> Not enough daylight to get done what I need to get done. Not enough sleep, Reuben. So much demand. (laughs) So much demand. So little supply. Bottom up is where you look at something without the full knowledge of it, purely based on what you can see. It's like this. I'm going to go back here. This is Hayden's guitar pedal. Don't worry, Hayden, I'm not going to touch it. (laughs) This is Hayden's guitar pedal. I look at it and I go, it's a bunch of guitar pedals. I'm pretty sure you plug the guitar in, push some stuff, and sound comes out. That's all I know. It's bottom up. But Hayden... If Hayden was standing right here, he could come and tell me, well, it was made, this bit was made by that one, and that does that to that sound, and this one, oh, that does amazing things to that sound, and this one was made in Germany, and that one was made, and he could go on for days and days and days and days, because he's got the knowledge, and it changes the way he looks at it. This demonstrates the other way to view an impossibility of not enough. We had our perspective bottom up. Now we have God's perspective top down. Hayden can take what he knows and apply it to what he sees, and it changes everything. I wouldn't know what to push because I don't know, but he does. I wonder if you're getting this. I wonder if you're getting this. Let me explain. I take what I know about God and who he is and the way he works and how faithful he's been to me, and God, I've seen you move a mountain, so this mountain in front of me, I'm going to apply my knowledge of you to what I see, so now I can say with confidence, God's got this. From a human bottom-up perspective, it doesn't look like enough. looks impossible. But from God's perspective, top down, there is nothing, nothing impossible for God. There is nothing impossible for God. Take the box off. Take the limitations away. Take the boundaries that you put around God because you think you know what should be done. Kick it to touch because his power is unlimited. Do you know that his power is unlimited? You can't be omnipotent, which means all powerful, and have things be impossible. It's not possible. Oh, does that make sense? There is not, there is, let me put it this way there is no shortage in this world that can disconnect us from God's supply. His power is unlimited. His provision is unconditional. That means everything, all things, anything is possible. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Top down. But our question is often, will there be enough? Will there be enough? Depends on who you think he is. There was a little girl one day, and she was drawing a picture. The teacher came round behind her and said, what are you drawing? She said, oh, I'm drawing God. The teacher said, no one knows what God looks like. She said, well, they will when I'm finished. <laughs> she already knew. Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He already know, He knew then, he knows now. He already knows what he's going to do. What if in the hands of the master, not enough is more than enough? Not enough is more than enough. It's taken us a while to get here, but if you want a title, we're halfway through, but if you want a title, that's it. Not enough is more than enough when it's in the hands of the master. I told you half our story before. I'm going to tell you how it ended. Three months, no income. You know what? God proved himself to us in what I can only describe as miraculous. I have no way to explain it. I couldn't write the figures down to make sense of it. But during that three-month period, every bill was paid. I never had to say to my family, sorry, boys, we're going to have to share this last can of peaches for dinner tonight, three each. Grocery vouchers were left in our letterbox. The doorbell would ring, and we'd open the door, and there'd be nobody there but bags of groceries sitting at the doorstep. And at the end of that three months, miraculously, I still can't figure it out, except that God had it all in hand. At the end of that three months, we had the same amount in our bank account, in our savings account, as when we started. It was, yeah, glory to God, because it's him that did it, not me. It was a faith-changing experience for me. It was life-changing for me, Philip, me, right? And I'm like, now, I'm like, why, why am I fussing? And I start to go back into that Philip way of thinking. Why am I fussing? Why am I worrying? Why am I panicking? If, I, if we've stewarded our money wisely as God directs us to, and we give what we have, then God will do the rest. It's what he's promised. So, while Philip was calculating, like human calculator, right? Andrew was out in the crowd searching. And he speaks up. And do you know this is the only time in the whole Bible that Andrew is actually recorded to have said anything? Let's see what he's got to say. Verse 8. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. Stop, Andrew. Don't say anything else. Stop right there. That's all you need. Nothing. Don't say a word. Has he heard something different to Philip? He's on the edge of faith. But then he adds, but how far will they go among so many? What he could have done was take the arm of that little boy and go, hey kid, watch what he's going to do with your lunch. (laughs) All God asks and needs Is what we have. Given what you have, it might not look like much, but not enough is more than enough when it's in the hands of the master. It's the not enough zone where God can do his best work. What if we gave him our not enough energy levels? What if we handed over our not enough faith to believe for this? What if we re-gifted our not enough finances? What if we turned over to him our not enough time? And then when you do that, you can elbow the person next to you and go, hey kid, watch what Jesus is going to do with my not enough. See, when you give what you have, it's not an offering. It's just transferring it into the hands of somebody who knows what to do with it. When, when, we It's an investment, if you like. When we get to the end of this fasting period and we give to our building, and Tiko and I give our offering, we're not giving an offering. We're just transferring that money into the hands of somebody who knows what to do with it. And what you give in that offering, will, um, you'll be declaring who God is to you. So, let's finish this. Verse 10. Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. You see, when we don't think there's enough, our tendency is to start to panic. We start to panic, and we start to pace. There's not enough. I haven't got enough. There's not enough. What am I going to do? Oh, my God. I don't know what I'm going to do. Hands up. No, don't hands up. <laughs> Just know that I've been there, all right? We panic, and the people are hungry. I'm hungry, hungry, I'm hungry. Haven't I? am hungry have not it? i am hungry. And I love what Jesus says. Sit down. The Greek word for sit down is anapipto. It sounds like something you take when you've eaten too much spicy food, frankly. But it means to recline or to rest. Remember, they used to eat their food like lying down with an elbow up. It means to get yourself in the posture for eating. Jesus is going, just chill, relax, take the weight off. No need to panic. Get yourself ready in the right position or the right posture for my supply to arrive. Verse 11 Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. So Jesus took it, he held it up, and he gave thanks. For what? For the food. What food? There's stuff all food there. There's five little barley loaves, which were, by the way, the cheapest bread you could buy in the day. And this was the closest. I didn't want to stink the show out by actually bringing fish. So sardines were the closest that I could find. There's stuff all there. But Jesus holds it up and gives thanks. Time out. Can you and I say thank you over a little bit? Can we be grateful over what seems to us to be like, not enough? <laughs> I suspect we may be more expert in the language of whineese. I haven't got enough. I'm not enough. You know, our kids speak that language fluently. <laughs> Have mercy, man, this is challenging. This is challenging. It's challenging to me. In the miracle, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish when they had all had enough to eat. Okay, mind officially blown. From that to 10,000 people having their tummies filled so that's not just like, oh, just have a little bite and that'll just, you know, make the hunger pangs go away for a little while. No, they ate till they were like Christmas lunch stuffed. <laughs> Love it. And you contrast that back with verse 7 where Philip said, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for, even, for people to have even one bite. And then what Jesus did, they all ate till they were chock-a-block. I'll say it again, not enough. Is more than enough when it's in the Master's hands. Okay, so let's resurface now. We're coming up. We don't want to get the bends. Do it um, slowly. I'm trying to think quietly. I was thinking, not it. do it slowly. So we're coming up. Let's wrap this up. Can I just talk to those of you here who, who don't know Jesus as your Savior for a minute? You might think, I don't know him. He wouldn't want me. Um I'm definitely not enough yet. A little later on, in John 6, there's kind of a part two to the story. We've just seen the crowds were fully satisfied and they went away, but a little later on, the very next day, in fact, they come back and they're looking for Jesus again. Why do you think they were looking for Jesus again? Why? Because they were hungry. And they wanted food again. Hungry Hunger has this thing, it, it, it occurs with surprising regularity. We have an, you know, a beautiful meal at night and we're fully satisfied and we go to bed and we wake up the next morning and we're hungry. And we have a breakfast and we do some work for a while and it gets to about 10.30 and we're, they were hungry. And they wanted Jesus to do what He'd done the day before. Feed us. What's true in the natural is also true in the spiritual. I'm hungry. I'm, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I, I don't know what to do to satisfy my hunger. I've tried all sorts. I've tried, I've tried a career. It hasn't satisfied Tried relationships, hasn't satisfied. Tried all sorts, all sorts of alcohol and drugs and sports and going to the gym. I've tried it all to try and fill that gnawing hole in me, but I'm still hungry. And Jesus says the most remarkable thing to them, and I'm kind of paraphrasing Jesus here. He says, you you want literal food. You want me to give you literal food to satisfy your human hunger. But I'm offering you something else. I'm offering you me. I am the bread of life. You won't get those deepest needs of yours met elsewhere. Do you know what I am means? It means to exist or to be present. What you need, I am. What you are wanting, I am. What you can't satisfy anywhere else, I can. What you're searching for, I supply. What you need, I am. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.